The word of our Lord from the Apostle Paul in his second New Testament epistle to the Corinthians. If we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then... We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. By honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and yet behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now, in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word. We pray that you would give us ears to hear 
and that you would give us wills to obey. In the name of Christ, your Son, we pray. Amen. God always works in the real world. Not some fictitious world, not in an idealistic universe, but in the real world. That's where He works. That is where salvation happens. That is where the story of salvation history has taken place. Whether we're talking about the Old Testament or the New Testament, we're not talking about some idealistic fantasy world. We're not talking about the world of, of epics. We're not talking about the world of myth. We're not talking about the world of some far off place, some Oz. We're talking about the real world. God always works in the real world. And that's, that, that implies a couple of things. It implies that he works in real time and space. In fact, the story of the incarnation of Jesus, of the eternal Son of God becoming a human person, the Scriptures tell us that it took place in the fullness of time. That when God had prepared the right time, it happened. Because God works in real time and in real space. This world, not some other world. In this space, there was a literal place on this globe where the baby Jesus was laid in a manger. There were exact coordinates, an exact latitude and an exact longitude where the eternal Son of God was wrapped in swaddling cloths and was laid in a manger, a feeding trough. God doesn't work somewhere else. He works here. He doesn't work some other time. He works now. And that's good news for us because that also means that God works with real people. That's good news. That means He works with the good and the bad and He also works with the ugly. And so we ought to rejoice. Some of us more than others. God works with real people in real lives with real hang-ups and real worries with real doubts and real hesitations. God works with real problems, with real tragedies, with the stories of real people who grew up with so much potential and yet seemed to have wasted it. Those who grew up with so much opportunity and yet squandered it. Those who lived faithfully and seemed to have always been forgotten. Real People, the lives of real people are the lives in which God is always at work. He doesn't work in just the qualified because none are. He doesn't work in just the prepared because sometimes He sneaks up on our lives when we're so unprepared. God always works in the real world. What that means is that God always works at points in time. 
we call them moments. Points in time. It is easy in the world of theology, the world in which so much of my life is lived, the world of theology textbooks and theology classes and the world of, of, of teaching, it is easy to, to think of God's work as only in processes because there is a process element to, to how God works. We can talk about the process of salvation. We can talk about the process of sanctification. We can talk about the process of revelation, how God has slowly over time revealed Himself to His people. But all of those processes are highlighted by moments. They are highlighted by points in time where God has done something dramatic. In looking at the Greek text of 2 Corinthians, there's an odd thing that happens when you get to this passage, and some of you have heard me mention this before. That verse where we read, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The Greek actually says, if any man is in Christ, new creation. You could insert a boom or a bang or a snap. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. In that moment of being found in Jesus, we are new. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. In a moment of time, life is transformed. New life is given. Today is the day of salvation. I love that story that David read of Zacchaeus. I think he might have been confused when he saw he was reading 10 verses. He probably thought, hey, he's throwing me a large bone. Normally I get like one or two verses, maybe four or five. But I wanted him to read the whole passage because that story of Zacchaeus, it's a story that we so often, uh, we remember by rote memory. We've heard the story a thousand times. But it ought to never get old the way that story ends when Jesus says, I declare to you that today salvation has come to this house this time this place this family this person salvation has come in this moment right now because he said the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost today is the day of salvation paul says he says now is the acceptable time now is the time not some other time but now Some of you remember hearing David Lane saying, nothing ever happened tomorrow. Because the moment we get to tomorrow, it's today. You can never put off till tomorrow what needs to be done now. Now is the time. In this moment, perhaps, God is wanting to do something dramatic. There's no time like the present. God always works at points in time. Moments. Moments of opportunity. And so God brings us to points of decision. He sets us up. He brings us 
He leads us. He guides us. He shepherds us. He pastors us to points of decision. He orchestrates catalysts in our lives. Opportunities to change the trajectory of where we're going. The trajectory of our lives. He orchestrates those. He prepares us for them. He leads us to them. He sets us up. He brings us onto mountaintops and He walks with us into deep valleys. One of the exciting things about camp is much like retreats, it's a time to be refreshed and be energized and you get excited and the kids get excited because they're going to get to play games and eat snacks and eat reasonably good, healthy food. But it, it feels like snack food because you're eating chicken tenders and spaghetti and pizzas and hamburgers and hot dogs and all that sort of thing. And they're with all their friends. It's looking like we're going to have 75 folks at camp this year at, at the southeast region. This year we've got the excitement of being at camp on a beach. But there's a lot that's exciting about camps. But one of the things that in our spiritual lives we enjoy about camps is that they feel like mountaintop experiences where God is so there. God is there in a way like He's not been before. Where God is is doing work in our lives that He doesn't do on a daily basis, it doesn't seem. But what often happens at camp is we find ourselves being brought to moments that have been building in our lives. People who have been talking to us and praying for us. People who have been planting seeds in our lives and have been encouraging. People who have been there through all the boring days have got us to those days that are filled with spiritual excitement. Camps and retreats are often seen as mountaintop experiences and God brings us onto those tops of those mountains. But in bringing us to points of decision, we recognize also that God walks with us into deep valleys. Times of suffering and loss. Times like what we've talked about for the last three weeks here. No, they're not caused by God, but they are graced by His presence. Because God is able to heal, He is able to redeem all things. And so He walks with us even into those deep valleys. And oftentimes in life, we find ourselves in those deep valleys of life, coming upon these points of decision. Spiritual decisions, people turning their lives over to Christ or starting to go to church or deciding to, to, to break a bad habit or things like that. Those spiritually motivated decisions often happen at points of turning in life. Whether it's moving to a new school district or moving to a new state, the loss of a job, the breakup of a marriage... A new marriage, a new baby. Those turning points in life, in, in our what we think of as natural lives, also turn out to be oftentimes turning points in our 
spiritual lives. And God brings us to points of decision. But we might say of ourselves, no, 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 I'm, I'm too broken. My life's a wreck. God says I can fix anything. And no life is too wrecked. We might say of others, others that God is nudging us to influence or nudging us to invite or nudging us to begin praying for or nudging us to befriend. We might say, no, no, no. He, God, you don't understand. He's a terrible person and she's a mess. But yet God nudges us even still. And if we would have ears to hear, we might hear God whispering, watch what I can do. If you'll be faithful, watch what I can do. Because He's the God who makes all things new. He is the God who in His Son Jesus, boom, new creation. So what for us? How then shall we live? What then shall we do? I encourage you, look for what God is doing and join Him in the work. What's He doing in you? Don't resist Him. Rest in Him. Paul begged and pleaded with the Corinthians, be reconciled to God. His arms are wide open. He has done all things to prepare for this moment. He is waiting. He is begging. He is pleading. He has opened up heaven to rescue you. Be reconciled to God. Wait no more. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. New life is waiting with arms wide open. He said, as workers together with Him, working with God, we implore you, be reconciled to God. And so we ought to ask ourselves, what's He doing in me? Where am I? What point am I being brought to? What has God been doing in my life? What is He preparing me for? Because we very well might find ourselves at a point of decision. A moment of redemption. God, what are you doing? I want to get involved in that. Not to mess it up. But like Paul said, to be working together with you. I don't want to fight you. I don't want to resist you. I want to rest in you. What are you doing in my life? Is this a redemptive moment for me?
think also of what's he doing around you? And not just around you, but especially what's he wanting to do through you? I encourage you, don't neglect your gift. We often think of gifts as things that we can do or special skills that God has given us, and oftentimes they are that. But also a gift to our lives is the opportunity to be able to work with Jesus for the sake of others. That's a gift. That's a gift that turns out to be a blessing, not just for us, but for all those involved. Don't neglect your gift. Get involved. Paul said, we are ambassadors. As though those who live should no longer live for themselves. They should live instead for Him who died and was raised for Jesus. And in that same breath, Paul begins talking about how that working for Jesus, that living for Jesus means really living for the sake of others. Living as ambassadors to the world in God's behalf. Paul says that he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of of connecting people back with God, of telling people that they can be connected back with God, that God is waiting with His arms wide open. He says also, He's committed to us the word of reconciliation. The opportunity to share the good news of Christ with someone else. And sometimes that good news being shared of Christ to someone else simply in saying, let me tell you what He's done in my life. Let me tell you where I was and where I am now. Let me tell you about these people that I've met. Of this church that gives of itself. So I want to encourage you to ask yourself. What's God doing around me? What's he doing in my friends? What's he doing in my family? What's he wanting then to do through me? Because God is pleading through us to the world in Christ's behalf that the world might be reconciled to Him. If you're not going to camp, please pray for camp. Please pray that God will bring not just the kids, not just the young people, not just our youth, our teens and preteens, not just them to these moments of decision and these life-changing moments, but that He would bring all who gather there for camp to these encounters, these redemptive moments, these moments in time at that place, those people. Please faithfully pray this week I love when Paul starts on those 
Pauline diatribes, and we've got one beautifully here in verses 4 through 10 and even following there in chapter 6. Paul is essentially saying, whatever it takes, yield yourself. Whatever it takes, be a vessel through which others will yield themselves. Whatever it takes, give yourself to Jesus. Rest in Him. Be reconciled to Him. Whatever it takes, get to those moments of redemption. Whatever it takes... God is bringing us to these redemptive moments. In stripes? No, but in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying and yet behold we live, as chastened but not yet killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things, whatever it takes. Paul says, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. So as a result, you also be open. May our lives always, in every moment of every day, may our lives always be open to what God has for us because we just might find ourselves being brought to these redemptive moments where God breaks in and where our stories are then changed. Let's pray. What you would have for us, we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would open our lives, and that you would do something great in us and through us, We pray in your son's name. Amen.